Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. With the Georgia Senate runoff finishing last week, we now have some clarity on what the political landscape looks like post-midterm elections. So to summarize what happened, Republicans won control of the House of Representatives while Democrats have expanded their majority in the Senate. So the expectations heading into the election, historically, it's the political party out of power that does well. And that didn't necessarily happen this time for reasons we're not going to go through on this podcast. But there wasn't that red wave as a lot of people were expecting. So the end result, we have the Senate tilted 51 to 49 in favor of Democrats. Democrats gained one seat in the midterms. However, since the midterm election, Kristen Sinema, an Arizona Democrat senator, recently announced that she's changing her affiliation to be registered as an independent. Now, this it remains to be seen what this means to the way she votes. Uh, her and West Virginian Senator Joe Manchin, who became famous over the past couple of years for blocking certain Democrat-sponsored legis- legislation from passing, he's announced that he isn't planning to change affiliations, but left the door open for doing that in the future. Now, on the House side, it looks like the Republicans will have 222 seats in the House compared to 212 um, on the Democrat side. There's still one seat that's um, left to have a special runoff. Um, but for Republicans, it's an increase of 10 seats um, that they had prior to the midterm elections. And 218 is the magic number to have a majority. So the next question is, well, how will the outcome affect policy and how will it affect the markets? So as for policy, it probably means we're going to see gridlock for at least two more years. Likely means no tax increases, no large progressive spending packages will gain enough votes for approvals. I was actually asked just this week about some of the provisions in the Build Better Back plan that were proposed toward the end of 2021. So this was the spending plan that President Biden put out there. And the questions were mainly around the elimination of the step of a basis in assets when someone dies, and also how some capital gains could be taxed even prior to realizing the gains. So you may have gains in a house or in stock or in real estate investment. You're not actually taxed on those until they're sold. In Build Better Back, there were some provisions that changed that, and you technically could be taxed even if you didn't sell the the asset. Build Better Back also included expanded social spending, corporate and individual tax increases, additional clean energy investments and subsidies, and um, it also raised or in some cases eliminated the cap on state and local income tax deductions. So with Republicans taking control of the House, that bill probably doesn't have a chance of of passing, um, and definitely not in its current form. With control of the House, Republicans will tra- probably try to pass bills focused on taxes, energy independence, uh, strengthening the supply chain, cracking down on illegal immigration. Now, uh, because they don't have control of the Senate and the, the president veto power, these bills likely won't pass. But they're going to be bills that are, out, are put out there to shape the message for Republicans leading up to the 2024 election. Now, on the Democratic side, They'll likely be focused on confirming President Biden's nominees, especially for judicial appointments that could last beyond the duration of President Biden's term. 
So we're seeing a lot of policy decided in the courts and as high as the Supreme Court. So like, for example, one of the things that they're going to hear, it's a challenge to President Biden's student loan relief program. So nominees and the judicial system has never been more important. Democrats may also want to increase the debt ceiling sometime before next summer, which is something that probably has to get done. But even under a divided government, there are certain things that have a chance of going through. So you can expect defense spending to rise because Republicans and Democrats have a shared interest in it, both substantively and politically. Both parties feel that we're in a more dangerous world given Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the eroding relationship between the U.S. and China. So there's going to be a competition to be tougher on China as we head towards 2024. Then what this, this may lead to political incentives aligning both sides to push new measures on export controls and restrictions. There may also be some restrictions put on outbound investment. Tax cuts for the middle class could result in a compromise uh, deal. Um, you know, I don't think the Democrats or President Biden and the Democrats want to be seen as opposing tax relief for everyday people. It may also involve initial Biden veto to excise uh, possible tax cuts for the rich from any GOP package. Another area of possible bipartisan cooperation is around the SECURE Act 2.0, which would implement some reforms around retirement savings. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about the SECURE Acts. SECURE Act 1, or the first SECURE Act, was passed. It was part of 2019 legislation. And it added some important new enhancements to existing rules around retirement savings. Some of those included it raised the age of required minimum distributions or RMDs from 70 and a half to 72. And, you know, delaying your RMD, uh, it gives you more time to adjust uh, what your work and tax situation might be. Um, you know, it gives you more, con- a little more control over your retirement account. It also eliminated the age limit for traditional IRA contributions. So you can, or they now can occur at any time provided the individual has earned compensation. Previously, they had to stop at, at seven and a half, no matter what. Another piece of the SECURE Act was removing the ability of non-spo- non-spouse beneficiaries to stretch out distributions from your inherited IRA over their lifetime. In these circumstances, the entire value of the inherited IRA must be distributed within 10 years of its receipt. So if you inherited an IRA before SECURE Act, you might be grandfathered in and you may can be able to continue to stretch out the RMD. But post SECURE Act 1.0, uh, you have that those 10 years to, to be able to distribute it. Another thing that the SECURE Act did is allowed 529 college savings plans account holders to use their funds or up to 10000 per year to pay qualified student loan debt. And then there was also... The ability to take a penalty-free withdrawal of up to $5,000 per year from an uh, employer plan such as a 401k to help offset some of the cost of having or adopting a child. All right, so that was 2019 Secure Act 1.0. Here's what's in Secure Act 2.0. And again, it's a proposal, but it may get bipartisan support and it may, it may be something that passes in 2023. So first, there's another update to RMDs. So Secure Act 1, they went from 70.5 to 72. In one of the proposals for 2.0, instead of having to take them starting at age 72, it would be delayed until age 73. And then in 2029, it gets delayed until 74. And then in 2032, it bumps up again to age 75. There's also an increase in catch-up contributions. So what a catch-up contribution is, it allows someone who's over 50 
to contribute additional dollars or additional money over the standard maximum contribution amount to their 401k and or IRA. There's also for company-sponsored 401k plans, there's a piece that would auto-enroll employees in the plan. So currently, employers have the option of auto-enrolling a worker into their 401k plan. I think auto-enrolling I'm a proponent of. I'm a proponent of any type of automation when it comes to your finances, but a lot of times if you get enrolled, it's a good thing and it gets the ball rolling on your savings for for retirement. So we'll see what happens to Secure Act 2.0 in 2023, but there's a good chance that some or a lot of these parts of it will get passed. All right, so now on to the prediction for the markets of what will happen after the midterm. Now, market volatility is generally higher during the midterm election years, especially in the weeks leading up to election day. We've definitely seen that, although I'm not really sure if the midterm elections were the cause of the volatility. But since 1970, midterm years have had a median standard deviation of 16% compared to 13% in other years. So it basically means that returns are more volatile in midterm years. Now, the silver lining for investors is that markets have tended to rebound strongly in the subsequent months after the midterm election. So since 1950, the average one-year return of the S&P 500 index following a midterm election was 15%. And that's more than twice the return on all the other years during similar periods. Now, of course, every cycle is different. And elections are just one of the many factors that influence market returns. Now, this could be because the resolution of the uncertainty surrounding the election, it calms investors. And I talk about this all the time. The market hates uncertainty for whatever reason that the uncertainty is there. And after the election, no matter who wins or what the political landscape looks like, the uncertainty is gone and investors get calm. And we've seen this happen this year. Again, we don't know if it's because of the midterm elections or because it looks like we may have come close to a peak inflation. But since the election in November, the markets have had a good run. But they're, they're largely, the markets are largely taking their direction from other developments. And the wide range of outcomes you see, it highlights that it's probably not politics that are driving stock performance. It's more of inflation, whether investors expect a recession next year, what the Federal Reserve is doing with, with interest rates. And politics likely, likely don't have that much of an impact. And we take this into account when we're managing investment accounts or portfolios. We look at the, the business cycle here or earnings, and we use that as the primary driver of investment decisions. You know, we believe that the pace of the U.S. economic growth, direction of corporate profits, over the long run, it's a much stronger driver of what the stock market is going to to do. So that just about wraps up today's episode. If you have any questions on midterm elections and any impact to the finances or what we can expect, I'd be happy to discuss them with you. You can schedule a call at bowdisfinancial.com backslash call. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.